and welcome to Getting to Good Enough, a podcast to help you let go of perfectionism so you can do more of what you love. I'm Shannon Wilkinson, a life coach in Portland, Oregon. I'm a recovering perfectionist who's getting better at good enough. And I'm Janine Adams, a certified professional organizer in St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm lucky enough to be naturally good at good enough. And today we're talking about having difficult conversations and how to navigate them. You might hear in my voice, it's a little scratchy. I did notice that. (laughs) That is because I participated in the um, protests here in Portland over the weekend and got pepper sprayed. Oh my, and that made your throat scratchy because you breathed it in? Um, It made my throat scratchy because um, it made me cough a lot. Well, the tear gas did too, but um, the pepper spray in my face made me cough so hard I almost threw up. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Those are words I wouldn't have expected to hear <laughs> a few months ago. <laughs> no, I've been having a lot of, uh, I've been saying a lot of things I never expected to say. Yeah, I think that's a hallmark of 2020. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So. I think so. Wow, that's heavy duty, Shannon. Yeah, it um, it was a pretty intense experience, and it's really opened my eyes to a lot of things. and And I think that's sort of how we came to think about having this, um, uh, making this episode about difficult conversations, is um, because a lot of what I've been um, learning about in terms of being a white woman showing up to pre- protest um, in support of a uh, uh, in support of Black Lives Matter, and about um, um, how much my eyes are or how do I say it? Like my eyes are being opened to a lot of things that I have never had to really think about before, and it's. It's been very eye-opening. Yeah, absolutely. I've my eyes are being opened based on your experiences, so I appreciate that. Um, but there's so much to be learned, right? And you're yeah. sort of literally in the front lines trying to learn. Um, yeah, I am. I'm trying to learn, and and the thing that um, I'm working to do is to not. Um, uh, to not get defensive, to notice when I'm feeling defensive and to sort of take that away from the conversation and, um, and process it on my own. Um, I've been really sort of staying quiet in the spaces where these conversations are happening because I, I really do primarily want to learn and I know that I have a lot to learn since I, you know, I've protested. I don't know, I started protesting. I remember going to protest in high school and I've been, you know, sort, sort of showing up to protest before, but 
um, this is a completely different experience. And um, I haven't ever really sort of immersed myself in a movement quite like this before, and especially one that wasn't about me and my experience. Right, where well, you're um, showing up in, in, in support of somebody else's, um, not their experience because their experience is bad, but in support of them and in support of black people and what they're going right. through as a white person, that makes, um, that's, is that the, um, when you say that you're trying not to feel defensive, it's about um, conversations about white privilege and um, white people being a part of these protests? Is well, that and, just, and just the way in which um, uh, white supremacy and racism shows oh. up in ways that you don't really expect. I hear like, you. you know, I, it, I haven't been looking for it. Um, and now that I'm looking for it and, and now that I'm having it pointed out to me and, you know, I mean, it could be something as small as in a sentence capitalizing white and not capitalizing black. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when n you cannot let perfectionism get in here because that will either paralyze you or make you feel defensive and righteous, I think. And when, you know, all of us need to open ourselves up to um, uh, b believing what other people are telling us. And I mean, and even, you know, black people are not a monolith either. So, right. you know, <laughs> black people have different ways of approaching how to dismantle systemic racism. And, um, you know, even if they're in the same movement together, they're, they have different thoughts about it and different personal experiences. And so, you know, just sort of recognizing these are individuals and this is not, you know, one thing and there's not going to be any differing opinions. But right. my opinion doesn't matter, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so you're, um, you're learning to listen, acknowledge, and then think before speaking think about it take it away and think about yeah. it. yeah yeah and and then and then what I'm trying to do is take what I'm learning and bring it back to people that I can influence mm -hmm. you know and so like social media is just it's almost like it was set up for this <laughs> <laughs> right what an opportunity you know yeah so you know I'm in groups where I'm learning about specific ways in which um, uh, white women in particular are behaving in oppressive ways and then taking that information and, you know, helping other people learn it, you know, other white people learn it. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a process and, and it, it, I see a lot of white women um, when a black person will say, hey, you know, I noticed that people are doing X, Y, Z. I can't think of an example right now. Um, but I notice they're doing this. And when they're doing this, it causes this kind of problem. And then a lot of white women responding by saying, well, that wasn't my intention or um, I didn't mean that. Or in, instead of saying thank you for the information and then going away and processing it on their own. 
Like right. they don't, they want to be um, absolved of their guilt. Right, and it's difficult, right? Because it's people who don't, white people who don't, who don't consider themselves racist, to mm-hmm. have actions pointed out to them that they didn't even realize they were doing or didn't realize they were racist, the actions. Right. Um, it's hard, I would imagine, not to get defensive, or it's natural to try to get defensive. And really, uh-huh. the thing to do, as you said, is not to get defensive, but rather to thank the person for telling you. Yeah. Yeah, and then... And, and appreciating it. that, you know, it's probably... Um, if they're if they're having this experience, they're not the only ones that have experienced this, right? You know, and that um, the what was I going to say that um, that like when you're being told that something you're doing is harmful, are I think it's a very natural reaction to want to explain how you didn't mean for it to be harmful and this is what you really meant, but um, that's not helpful either. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the, there's a, um, a, what do they call it? A presupposition in NLP. So it's basically like sort of one of the tenets of NLP and and other, um, there are other instances of using this idea, but the the phrase is the meaning of your communication is the response you get. So it doesn't matter what you intended to say, the meaning of what you said is how the other person took it. Mm. Oh, it reminds me of the phrase my old boss Doug used to say, Janine, perception is reality. Yep, exactly. We were in public relations, and that was that was a meaningful statement. Yeah, and so you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your intention was. If it if it is perceived as harmful, then that's information you need to take on and do something about. Right. Um, and it doesn't really make any sense to like try to argue with someone and say like that wasn't harmful to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know, it all—it sort of reminds me too of the um, the—I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's like the concentric circles of grief idea, mm-hmm. and where you know there's the person who's at the center of the grief, you know, whether that's a person who just had a, you know, a diagnosis like a terminal diagnosis or the person who lost their loved one or something and then the neck they're they're surrounded by a circle of people who are very closest to them you know spouses children parents like that you know they're very close friends and then outside of that is sort of the larger next concentric circle of their closest friends and then you know more distance friends and then acquaintances and and the idea of this is that if you're having difficulty with the circumstance with the whatever it is that's causing the grief or the upset you don't talk to someone that's closer to the center of the circle you talk to someone who is further out of the circle from you mm-hmm so, like, you wouldn't tell somebody who pointed out uh, inadvertent racism on your part, you wouldn't say to that person, 
complain to them about how that made you feel. <laughs> but you right. might you might come to me and say, "Hey, I, I just learned this, and wow, that blew my mind, and I need to process yeah. it." Yeah, or like, yeah. "Oh, it felt." Even if I came to you and I could say, "It felt really bad to be told that, and to be yeah. to have, you know, my my words or my actions perceived in that way," and then that helps me sort of figure out how I can move forward in a different way, so that I'm my words and actions match more what my intentions are. Right. And much more appropriate than saying that to the person who initially started the conversation. Exactly. That's very helpful, I think. That's like yeah. a, a, like a, a, a navigational tool that um, in these difficult times that's, I think, really beneficial. Yeah, I think so. And, and I, I think that it would be really useful for for many of us to get used to just saying you know thank you for letting me know like you don't have to argue with someone about you know if their feelings are right or wrong you can thank them for the information which doesn't mean that you necessarily even agree with them Mm -hmm. but you know thank you and then you can go away and think about it and process it with someone else who's you know, in, in your circle or further out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I've been getting a lot of, um, a lot of practice having difficult conversations on Facebook these days. <laughs> I know, I get to read them. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're amazing, I think. I avoid difficult conversations, so I'm impressed. Uh, with your ability to navigate them, to um, really kindly point out things to people who are um, who <laughs> who are expressing opinions that that you don't agree with, and right. that I don't agree with. Yeah. Right, and um, I I do I try to be kind. I try to keep it non-personal. I ca- try to keep it about you know, the specific thing that we're talking about, I try to use analogies and metaphors that make my point easier to understand. I mean, my goal is to help people see what they're saying in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in some cases, it's actually helped people see things in a different way and to, and to um, choose to speak and act differently, which... <sighs> is the only reason I keep doing it. <laughs> right. Well, and, and it's, it's not a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and in addition to the um, people that you're, you're actually communicating with directly, you know, having these discussions with, these public discussions with on Facebook, there are going to be people who are reading it who might have shared the opinions of the original poster who are also getting... And perhaps a different perspective, thanks to yes. thanks to that hard work on your part. So, I think that's terrific. Yeah, and that and that's actually the reason why I started doing it mm-hmm. was not necessarily to try to influence the person who is, you know, saying the things. And it's not just like you know we disagree. It's like I think that they're behaving in a racist manner, or I think that they're behaving in a dangerous manner, or 
I think they're being complete jerks. <laughs> um, but, you know, so it's not just like, oh, well, you know, I think we should do A and you think we should do B. I mean, I, I, it's, it feels much deeper than that to me, the things that I end up having a conversation about. And, um, and I recognize, like, you know, there, it's, I don't want someone telling me how to think. But if someone provides me information that helps me think differently, that's a completely different situation. Right. And you're also uh, providing an example for like-minded people to communicate as well, you know? So yeah. um, it's, I think it's, it's easy for me to say, but I think it's worth the effort. Uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I mean, I do think it's, it has an impact, and I thank you for it. Well, thank you. But I, I've—it's also—I don't know—it's—it's it's an interesting place to be because I feel like this is important for me to do, and also I feel like I'm really learning, and that you know I could probably look at things I said a month ago and might find them a little cringeworthy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't look back, um, but. You know, it's I, I really feel like these difficult conversations are um, uh, worth putting some effort into. Right. Well, good. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. And also, I feel like I, this needs to be brought up, too. Right. We found a baby mouse on Saturday. <laughs> and did you have any difficult conversations about the mouse? Uh, we did have yeah. some <laughs> difficult conversations about the mouse because when you find a mouse that's so young, its eyes aren't opened yet. And it was in our car, and we have no idea how it got into our car. So, you know, it wasn't like there was just a mouse and it probably just got away from its nest somehow. There was like, you know there wasn't a nest in our car and right. we don't know where it came from and so we couldn't put it back anywhere and um was the so window we, open at all in your car was there's the, was, no way it could have gotten in from no, a window but, but was the window open at all in your car uh no oh because one time my neighbor's cat was in my car and he got through the smallest open window it was barely open uh-huh. and he was in there i saw him i thought it was my cat so i freaked out <laughs> who is my cat didn't go outside so i thought gosh maybe a cat brought that mouse in and left it for you but no if the window yeah. wasn't open no no the window wasn't open and you know we have a couple working theories about how the mouse might have gotten into our car mm-hmm. um but none of them really make sense it's all really quite a mystery yeah hm. um but so then, but let, you know, tell us what to, happened to the mouse. Well, so we had to decide what to do with the mouse. And so um, my vote was for to save the mouse. <laughs> and um, and and we did some Googling. We found out the mouse was probably like only about 10 days old. Mm-hmm. It was very cute. Um, I saw the pictures. Yeah. So if anyone wants to see, they can look on my Instagram. But um so we had so we did some googling and found out that you can actually bottle feed mice (laughs) (laughs) so we got puppy formula and a and a kitten nursing bottle 
<laughs> and um, made a nice little nest for the mouse and then um, bottle fed him every two hours. And I um, took a sock and put rice in it and warmed it up in the microwave. So he had like to he had a higher temperature and then we and we ended up leaving him outside in a in a container so that um uh, cleo didn't have to get worked up about the mouse Mm -hmm. and um and it was also warmer outside than it was in our house so um and then i you know we were feeding the mouse every two hours it's really cute. Like you, he'd like put his little paws on the nipple and hold it while he was drinking out of the bottle. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> and um, and Mike kept saying, "We can't name the mouse. We can't name the mouse." <laughs> and then he's like, "What do you think Squeaky's doing?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and then. I did some more Googling because it occurred to me, like, I don't actually want to have a pet mouse, especially not a wild mouse. Um, And, you know, sort of what's our end game here? I don't feel comfortable just, like, raising this mouse until he opens his eyes and releasing him because that's not going to survive that either. Mm -hmm. And so I did a little more Googling and found out that our, um, that the Audubon Society takes injured and abandoned orphaned um, mammals in addition to birds who knew Um, i know right and they're open 365 days a year but only until 5 p.m and i found out at 502 oh no (laughs) (laughs) um so then i thought well maybe we can you know keep the mouse alive overnight i'm like oh my god am i seriously gonna Okay, I guess we're setting our alarms every two hours. <laughs> but it turns out that they have a reciprocal agreement with the um, with the major 24-hour emergency vet in town who will care for the animal until um, the Audubon Society can take them the next day when they open. Nice. Yeah, so we took the mouse there and we made a donation. I mean, you know, the, it's not like the mouse was going to cost a lot to keep overnight but we made a donation to support that those efforts that they take care of sure um of injured animals and um then they and then the audubon society was going to take the mouse so excellent yeah well i'm glad you brought that up because we wouldn't want that to go unnoted yeah well and it's you know it was a that made Saturday a very strange day. Yeah, to, that was the same day that you went to the protest. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, I spent the morning bottle feeding a mouse. <laughs> and I spent the evening trying to recover from getting pepper sprayed by federal agents. In the face, right. In the face, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it's there, there's a lot to pay attention to right now. And... Um, um, I don't know. I think just, I don't know, it just felt like a lot of, a lot of humanity on Saturday. Mm. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine, I can't even imagine. I haven't, I haven't been in a crowd in, since February 29th. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first time I've been on a crowd since, um, I think I flew home from 
Phoenix on March 11th or 12th. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah. But anyway, do you have anything else to say about having difficult conversations? No, but, uh, well, yes, I say no and then I talk, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to thank you for sharing that because I, I've, I, um, uh, I appreciate your perspective. Yeah, of course. And, and I also just want to say, you know, I got a lot of, of compliments and, and nice words from people, kind words from people after posting about my experience. And, and I mostly just want to say that, you know, there's a lot of ways that, that you can support this movement without being on the front lines. And, you know, while I understand there are a lot of people who wouldn't want to be where I was and would not choose to do that. Um, it doesn't make what I did heroic in any way. It's just, I feel like this is something that we all should be supporting and in whatever way you can, and that there are a lot of different ways to do it. Um, Mm. so I don't think me doing that is, you know, any, any more heroic than, you know, people who are trying to get the vote out or who are, Um, you know, wearing a Black Lives Matter mask or are, you know, donating money or are, you know, doing whatever they can, you know, having difficult conversations with their friends and relatives. Um, But I think it it takes all of us to make a real difference. Here, here. All right. So we want to hear from you, our listeners. are you having difficult conversations? Um, do you have any um, things that you've done that you would like to share with us? You can let us know on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, we're at Getting to Good Enough. On Twitter, we're at GTG Enough. And you can l- leave us a message at 413-424-GTGE, that's 4843. Or you can always head over to our website, gettingtogoodenough.com and leave a comment for us on the show notes. Uh, but for now, oh, whoop, wait. What? I forgot what happens next. <laughs> I totally brain farted. <laughs> wait, I felt like you were on, weren't you on track? I think I was on track, and then I thought I wasn't on track. I did, and I don't know what happened. Anyway, (laughs) this is Shannon Wilkinson in Portland, Oregon, (laughs) and Janine Adams in St. Louis, Missouri. And we hope that good enough is getting easier for you. beginning i almost said um your name oh like after i said my little bit i almost said your little bit oh that would have been funny (laughs) yeah